Hi, I'm Milton Allen Turner. This week, I'm discussing social justice in the world languages classroom. I'll define what social justice is, what social justice is not, and using the concept of solidarity in Catholic social teaching, I'll describe five pillars of a framework for world languages teachers. Welcome to this week's edition of Worldviews. Comedian Michael Jr. in his Break Time YouTube series in 2015 asked a musical director in Winston-Salem to sing the song Amazing Grace. The musical director did a good job the first time, but Michael Jr. asked him to sing a second version where, quote, your uncle got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid, or the, quote, hood version if it exists. The second version is much more emotional and rousing and gets the entire audience engaged, ending in a standing ovation. The first time, the singer knew what he was doing. But the second time, he knew why he was doing it. As Michael Jr. explained, when you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards your purpose. My purpose in discussing social justice education in the world languages classroom, in addition to explaining the what, is to give the why rather than the how. Most world languages teachers are probably already doing this. I just hope to provide a new focus and to provide a different lens through which to view our instruction. So what is social justice? Before I talk about what social justice is, I want to take a couple of minutes to talk about what it is not. Terry Osborne, in his May 2020 Actful, Critical, and Social Justice Approaches Special Interest Group webinar called The Journey of Social Justice, explained that social justice is not indoctrination. It is not a Democratic or Republican agenda. It is not a position against conservatives or liberals, nor is it teaching something other than languages. Social justice is about learning to think critically. It is about fairness for all. It is against xenophobia. And it is about teaching languages in their actual and authentic historical and political contexts. So, what is social justice? One definition offered by Osborne is that social justice is when all members of a society share equitably in a society's benefits. Sonia Nieto, in her book, Language, Culture, and Teaching, Critical Perspectives, defined social justice as, quote, a philosophy, an approach, and actions that embody treating all people with fairness, respect, dignity, and generosity. Therefore, according to Nieto, quote, social justice education challenges, confronts, and disrupts misconceptions, untruths, and stereotypes. 
It creates a learning environment that promotes critical thinking and agency for social change, unquote. Isn't that what education is supposed to be? One of the Roman Catholic Church's elements of Catholic social teaching is the principle of solidarity. Solidarity proclaims that we are our brothers and sisters keepers, wherever they may be. We are one human family, whatever our national, racial, ethnic, economic, and ideological differences. Learning to practice the virtue of solidarity means learning that loving thy neighbor has global dimensions in an interdependent world. St. John Paul II wrote in Social Concerns that, quote, solidarity is not a feeling of vague compassion or shallow distress at the misfortunes of so many people, both near and far. On the contrary, it is a firm and persevering determination to commit oneself to the common good. That is to say, to the good of all and of each individual, because we are all really responsible for all. St. John Paul II added, interdependence must be transformed into solidarity, based upon the principle that the goods of creation are meant for all. That which human industry produces through the processing of raw materials with the contribution of work must serve equally for the good of all. Even though this concept of solidarity comes from Catholic social teaching, I believe it's applicable to secular settings and public education as well. Using solidarity as a framework for languages classes, I teach solidarity in what may seem to be a contradictory way to many people. I emphasize difference. Rather than starting with the assumption that we're all the same and highlighting similarities, I begin with the premise that we should expect and embrace differences. As a framework for teaching solidarity in world languages classes, I use five pillars to ground my instruction. The first pillar is that learning a language is easy. The hard part is forgetting our native language. For example, English and Romance languages use prepositions. For example, we say, in the house. But some Asian languages use postpositions and say instead, house the in. We often think that our way is the only way. In the famous 1974 All in the Family episode, Gloria Sings the Blues, Archie Bunker and his son-in-law, Michael Meathead, argue about whether it's better to put on both socks than both shoes or to put on a sock and a shoe and a sock and a shoe. Both ways work and are effective, but we tend to think that our way is the only way of doing things. The second pillar in this framework is to embrace these differences. I stress to students that difference is normal. Difference is good. Difference is neither inherently worse or better. Difference is just different. I also point out 
that we not only encounter differences between languages, we often encounter differences within our own language. For example, in some dialects of English, you stand in line. In others, you stand online. In some places, candidates run for office. In others, they stand for office. In a 2001 interview with National Public Radio, Spanish language talk show host Cristina Saralegui explained the differences she encountered with different dialects of Spanish on her show. She pointed out that in some countries, coger la guagua could mean to catch the bus, but in others, coger la guagua could mean to have sexual intercourse with a baby. The third pillar is that language is arbitrary, conventional, and evolutionary. There is no natural or universal link between sounds and meanings. There is no natural reason why we use the sounds pen, for example, to refer to a writing instrument. It's completely arbitrary. If there were some natural link between pen and the writing instrument, then every language on the planet would use the word pen. But in French, they use stylo. In Spanish, they use bolígrafo. In Arabic, they use kolom. But if we want to understand each other, we can't all use different words. If we are to understand each other in the same language, we must all agree to use the same sounds to refer to the same object or idea. Thus, language is also conventional. We all have to agree upon the use of pen rather than stilo, bolígrafo, or column, or Ralph, or for that matter. But finally, just because we call it a pen today doesn't mean that we'll call it pen 10 or 50 or 200 years from now. People and languages evolve as our circumstances evolve or change. So we may agree on another term at some later date. Hence, language is also evolutionary. The fourth pillar is that language is a symbolic system. That means it has a shape or a syntax, a meaning, its semantics, and a usage, its pragmatics. For example, a stop sign is a symbol. It has a shape, a red octagon, a meaning. Pedestrians and motorized vehicles are to stop and look both ways. And a usage, it's used at intersections. Language, as well, has a shape and a meaning. However, most language is not literal and not direct. In order to understand most language in its symbolic nature, we have to understand the context. We have to understand the usage. Do you have the time? And, oh, that's just great, are indirect requests and often involve sarcasm. Context and meaning varies from person to person, situation to situation, and culture to culture. For example, State Farm Insurance created a series of ads where two different speakers in two entirely different situations say exactly the same words, which as a result have entirely different meanings. One of these ads called Jacked Up features in one case 
a father gifting his daughter a car for her birthday. And in another case, a man on the cell phone finds his own car jacked up on bricks with his wheels and rims stolen. As both summarize their experiences with the same, what a day, their connotations and their impact on the listener are quite different. For the daughter, it's a sign of her being ecstatic. While for the man, it's a sign of his exasperation. In the linguistic science of pragmatics, this study of language and context, we identify three types of speech acts, locutionary acts, illocutionary acts, and perlocutionary acts. Locutionary acts are average run-of-the-mill statements like, he's eating, or it's hot outside. Illocutionary acts, also known as performatives, are statements that, when uttered, you've actually done something in the real world. For example, I promise, I swear, and I declare, by saying them, actually become actions. In the wedding ceremony, when you say, I do, you actually did. Perlocutionary acts are acts that are entirely dependent on the listener in order to be valid. For example, I can't just say, I amuse you, or I intimidate you, or I frighten you. In order for these expressions to be true, you actually have to allow yourself to be amused or intimidated or frightened. Context is the key for interpreting both illocutionary and perlocutionary acts. Illocutionary acts are almost entirely speaker-dependent. Certain conditions, called felicity conditions, must be met in order for illocutionary acts to be valid. This is one of the reasons why illocutionary acts can be marked by hereby, showing that there are no ordinary locutionary acts, but are special performatives. So you can say, I hereby swear, I hereby promise, but not, I hereby eat, or it's hereby hot outside. Also, certain people in certain circumstances must have specific rights in order to perform an illocutionary act. I can't say I hereby sentence you to three weeks in jail, but a duly recognized judge or officer of the law can. However, intent is entirely irrelevant when it comes to perlocutionary acts. Perlocutionary acts are entirely listener dependent. You can only amuse someone, as we stated, if they allow themselves to be amused. You can't say, I hereby amuse you. By the same token, if a listener decides he's insulted, it's an insult, regardless of the intent of the speaker. A comedian may try to be funny, but if the audience doesn't laugh, he isn't funny. And, strangely, if someone intends something to be a joke, Instead, it can be taken as an insult. Or, as in the case of Monty Python and the Holy Grail with the French daughter, someone can intend to insult another, but it comes off as a joke. The fifth and final pillar is that language has five interrelated modes. 
These are reading, writing, speaking, listening, and all of these occur within an appropriate cultural context. Language cannot be separated from the context in which it's spoken. Tanahasi Coates highlighted the importance of context during a 2017 interview at Evanston Township High School. Now, I don't know if he ever studied pragmatics, but he gave some of the clearest and most concise examples of how pragmatics in language and context works. He noted that if his wife calls him honey, that's entirely acceptable because it's assumed that they have a romantic relationship. However, if some strange woman on the street approached him and called him honey, that would not be appropriate because it's assumed there is no relationship between them. The context is key. Who uses a term with whom and in which context and circumstance is vital. This is why certain groups can use words like faggot, bitch, or nigger, and they'll be heard in an entirely ironic fashion. However, when other groups use these same terms, they'll almost always be heard as insulting. So to review, my five pillars are, pillar one, our way is not the only way. Pillar two, embrace difference. Pillar three, language is arbitrary, conventional, and evolutionary. Pillar four, Language is a symbolic system, having a shape, a meaning, and, equally importantly, a usage. And pillar five, language is interconnected. You cannot separate the different modes from the appropriate cultural context. That's the reason why authentic resources, meaning resources created by native speakers for native speakers, are the keys to contextualizing language. Actful's cultural framework emphasizes the interaction between products, practices, and perspectives within a culture. Actful's culture standard calls for the students to, quote, interact with cultural competence and understanding. It further encourages, quote, relating cultural practices to perspectives by having the learners use the language to investigate, explain, and reflect on the relationship between the practices and perspectives of the cultures studied. Actful's culture standard also encourages relating cultural products to perspectives by having learners use the language to investigate, explain, and reflect on the relationship between the products and perspectives of the cultures studied. This reminds teachers and learners of the centrality of culture in language learning. While vocabulary and grammar are necessary, they're merely tools that facilitate communication. But communication can only truly occur when we are fully cognizant of our fellow speaker and his or her cultural context and identity. This is one of the reasons why 
Ohio's newly revised standards for world language learning places culture before communication. It calls for learners to, quote, interact with intercultural competence using knowledge and understanding of Native and other cultures. Cassandra Glenn, Pamela Wesley, and Beth Wessel, in their book, Words and Actions, Teaching Languages Through the Lens of Social Justice, propose potential social justice themes using this actual framework. For products, they suggest social justice issues that focus on access to and relationships with tangible and intangible resources. These may include food, art, music, books. As educators, our choice of the products we use in our classrooms, which songs, books, and films we use, is important. Representation matters. For practices, they propose social justice issues that arise from how people interact. These may include environment, immigration, governance, leadership, celebrations, and laws. For perspectives, they recommend social justice issues stemming from attitudes, beliefs, and values. These may include identity, community types, social structures, food deserts, minority status, and opinions on social justice. Perhaps most importantly, Glenn Wesley and Wassel encourage seeing how social justice issues relate to and reflect perspectives rather than focusing on isolated categories. Many of the themes, topics, and issues are things that we world language teachers are already discussing in our classes. What may be missing is the filter through which we examine these issues or the context in which we present the issues or the members of the target community to our classes. The standards for intercultural communication call for us to always keep our audience in mind. The performance benchmarks for interacting with other cultures call for us to, quote, use appropriate rehearsed behaviors and to recognize some obviously inappropriate behaviors in familiar and everyday situations at the novice level. At the intermediate level, the students should be able to, quote, recognize that significant differences in behaviors exist among cultures and use appropriate learned behaviors and avoid major social blunders, unquote. At the advanced level, students will eventually, quote, demonstrate awareness of subtle differences among cultural behaviors and adjust their behaviors accordingly in familiar and unfamiliar situations. But even at the beginning, making sure that we and our students recognize that there are inappropriate behaviors and leading them towards avoiding social blunders is a laudable and quite achievable goal. But as Terry Osborne pointed out in his webinar, social justice is not a destination. 
or a one-time activity. It's a journey. Pope Francis, in his 2020 encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, proposes, quote, fraternity and social friendship as the ways indicated to build a better, more just, and peaceful world with a commitment to all people, institutions, the economic world, international organizations, and civil society. He reminds us that we are fratelli tutti. We are all brothers and sisters. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and that you found something in it to spark a deeper conversation leading to greater understanding. I'm Milton Allen Turner, and I invite you to join me again next week for more Worldviews.